Last week, we, we focused on the, the ultimate question of life by looking at the supremacy of Christ, by looking at how He is supreme over creation and how He is supreme over the church. We ended kind of with a challenge to make sure that Jesus occupies first place in our life. That Jesus is not just part of our life or somewhere down the list of life, but that Jesus is first, that Jesus is our compass, that we look to Him for everything that we do, that He directs all of our life. As we come to the next part of Colossians, we're going to discover a reason for living. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I need to be reminded, like, why am I here and what's my purpose? For some people, that's a real question that we start to ask and we wrestle with at some time in life. Like, God, what do you have me here for? Do you have me here just to be doing A or just to be doing C or be doing this job or be doing that job? Or is there a greater purpose? As we look at Colossians 1, beginning in verse 24 today, Jesus, when we realize now He's supreme in our life, then He starts showing us what, a, what our purpose is as believers in Christ. And so Paul says... Put Jesus first, and now here's how you live for Him, and here's the purpose that we'll see in Paul's life that is the draw for us today. Today we're going to look at six strategic statements that I think helps us discover as believers in Christ what God has designed us to do. Now I must remind you, this letter that we're studying is written to the church. Paul wrote this letter to Christians, people who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and believe that your, your sins, that you're, that you're saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. And Paul's writing a letter to the Christians. And so for us in here that are believers in Christ, this letter is written to us as well. If you're not there yet and you're on a journey and you're investigating Christianity and you're still trying to learn what does it mean, this is a great letter because when you come to the point of salvation, you accept Jesus as your Savior, you understand the commitment that you're making. You're understanding when I say yes, now this is part of what I'm saying yes to. So let's discover our purpose in these strict six strategic statements. Paul says part of our purpose is to suffer joyfully for the gospel. Suffered joyfully for the gospel. I mean, we might not expect that to be first, but surely not maybe even expect it to be included in, in the list. But verse 24 makes it very clear that Paul saw suffering as part of the job description of the Christian. Look at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul says to the church in Colossae, I, I willingly and joyfully suffered for the sake of other people for the gospel. For, for other people to know Jesus as their Savior. I'm willing to put my life on the line. Now, most of us, when suffering comes, what do we want to do? We want to get rid of it. It's like, I, I don't want any suffering. And, and sometimes I don't know how much of our suffering really has to deal with what Paul was suffering for because Paul's suffering was because he was preaching and teaching and getting people to come to know Jesus. A lot of our suffering has nothing to do that I spoke the name of Jesus. It's just life's coming at me. But whichever way you measure the suffering, there's an opportunity for us to be light of Christ in it. When our pain comes, many times we want to relieve it. Oh, Lord, I'm going to get 
rid of these things? Who wants to get rid of these? Come on, I know you do. I want to get rid of that. Who wants to get out of the pandemic? Who wants to be past this COVID thing, hearing on the news over and over and over again? Who wants to get back to whatever normal is? Most of us do. And that's a very natural feeling, but at the same time, it's part of suffering that we're walking through together. And God can use the suffering for His good. In 2 Corinthians 7, Paul declares, In all of our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. He says, In all of my suffering, all of my trials, all of my difficulty, I still have joy. And sometimes we look at the Apostle Paul, and I look at his life, and I go, You've got to be crazy. How do you have joy? I mean, stop and think about some of his sufferings. He lays them out to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. You know what that is? Whippings. Bad, bad beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. Paul says, in the middle of all this, I still had joy. We go to Kroger and the line's long and we get our joy messed up. We do, don't we? We we drive down Leestown Road at 5 o'clock in the afternoon or Nicholasville Road and we start complaining and grumbling and lose our joy because of traffic. And Paul says, look at my traffic. The, the, The ship wrecked three times. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then beside all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches." Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? Can we just agree that what we're walking through in 2020 is nothing compared to what Paul's gone through? You agree with me? Okay, you got your mask on. Head nod, yeah, you're with me? I mean, what we're walking through in comparison to what Paul has walked through is really nothing. And Paul says, I suffer for the gospel, and when I suffer, I still have joy. See, before Paul's conversion, he actually inflicted suffering on believers, and now he's suffering for believers. A whole mindset shift. A whole change in his life. My life has been transformed. When Paul speaks of filling up in his flesh what he's still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions... He's not implying that there's some insufficiency in what Christ accomplished on the cross. I mean, as we learned last week from Colossians 1.22, we've been reconciled by Christ's physical body, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of what took place on the cross makes us holy in His sight without blemish from accusation. His death has brought us peace in God, and there's nothing left to be done except to respond to what He has done for us. Paul says, I've been filled up. Now, the word afflictions is never used of the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, but instead it refers to pressures in the life that Paul endured, that he walked through. Christ suffered in death to save the church, and Paul suffered in life to spare it. Think about that for a moment. Christ suffers in death so that we can be saved. 
Paul suffers on this life, what? So that the church continues. So the church doesn't stop. John Piper writes and says, Christ's cross was propitiation. Ours is for propagation. Christ suffered to accomplish salvation. We suffer to spread salvation. See, Paul suffered, I think, for a few different reasons. One is, he suffered because of Jesus Christ. Like, like the early believers in, in Acts 5 and 41, Paul rejoiced that he was considered worthy of the suffering to disgrace for his name. He suffered because of the Gentiles. Paul was committed to take the gospel to all people, to all races, to all backgrounds, to all um, economic societies, to all languages. And, and Paul went there because he realized that all people are worthy to hear and receive the message of Jesus. He was in prison because he had taken the good news of the Gentiles in Acts 22. And Philippians 1, Paul writes in prison, when he writes to the church in Philippi, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. How is it? That a man can be in prison and still have joy and say, he's basically saying, I'm okay that I'm in prison. I'm okay that I'm in chains. I'm okay that I've gone through hardships because people are coming to know Jesus. Are we okay with that? Are we okay with when we walk through the medical challenge? Are we okay when we walk the financial challenge? Are we okay when we share the name of Jesus? Are, are we okay when, we, when we're going through a pandemic? Are we okay with it if some people will come to Christ because of what I'm walking through? It's a good question for all of us to wrestle with today. Paul suffered for the sake of Christ's body, the church. See, as believers saw him suffer... It gave them courage to face persecution in their lives. How often have we seen someone living out the gospel and living for faith, and it encourages you? You're like, man, if they can do it, I can get there. I can do it. Man, if they can preach it, they can teach it, they can go here, they can go there. If they can do it, then I can surely do it. Many times that brings encouragement. We have the same call here on earth. We should not be surprised when we go through tough times. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John 15, 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We should not be shocked when we speak the, speak the name of Jesus that somebody's going to stand up and say, well, I don't like what you just said or how you said it or that you believe that. Should not be shocked. Another way to say it is that when the gospel is carried to the ends of the earth, it will be accompanied with difficulty. It's never been easy. In fact, in order to share the gospel, it's necessary to share in Christ's afflictions. It's necessary. Paul's understanding of persecution and difficulty and suffering can help us when affliction visits our life by looking at somebody else and going, look at, he fought for the gospel. He put his life on the line for the gospel. He is willing to go through it. And Colossians 1.24 is just reminding us to suffer joyfully. Suffering, it's part of being a disciple 1 Peter 4 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, if you're going to carry the name of Christ, trials are going to come. Philippians 3 says, I want to know Christ and a power of His resurrection, a fellowship of sharing in His sufferings, becoming like Him in death. 1 Peter 4 says, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may not 
so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. And in Romans 5, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. How far are we willing to go for the gospel? What are we willing to do? How much suffering are we willing to endure? Paul is putting his life on the line. And then Paul says to every church that he ministered to, if you're going to live for Christ, if you're going to preach Christ, if you're going to share Christ, if you're going to help people know Christ, realize suffering comes with that. It's part of the job description. He moves from suffering to serve as part of our purpose, to serve according to your calling. Look at verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, as Paul likes to do, he refers to himself as a servant. And since Jesus was supreme, since Jesus was first place in his life, Paul was devoted 100% to serve him wholeheartedly. Like, Jesus, you're first, and so I am here to serve you. The word servant can be translated as minister. The word commission means a management or stewardship. And just as a well-trusted servant would manage his master's estate, so Paul was entrusted with a special task. He's like, my task now is to serve my Lord who is supreme in my life. The task was to present the Word of God in its fullness. Paul was a servant. He was willing to call himself a servant because he said, my job to be a servant is to make the Word of God fully known. And, and I recognize my responsibility then is to preach the Word of God in its fullness. And Paul's like, I'm going to preach it, I'm going to teach it, I'm going to share it, no matter what comes my way. Someone has said that the pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Are we too comfortable the gospel message are we too comfortable with going oh yeah i know jesus yeah i received jesus yeah i'm going to heaven but i haven't really spoke his name lately to somebody i haven't really taken that step of faith i haven't i'm not really brian you're talking about persecution i haven't really seen persecution in my life suffering in my life that's why we preach about heaven and hell here that's why we proclaim that Jesus is the only way to salvation at Center Point Christian Church. That goes against our culture. And you start having conversations with your neighbor, or you start having conversations with a coworker or a family member, and when they start, if you just ask them the question, are you secure, are you sure you'll be in heaven? I guarantee you'll probably get an answer of something. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I think I've done enough good. I think I'm going there. And if you say to that person, the only way you're getting there is through Jesus Christ, I guarantee you'll start to have a debate or an argument about that. Because people believe, well, yeah, Jesus is good, but so is Buddha, and so is Allah, and so is this belief, and as long as I do good, and people believe in all those things. There's only one truth. 
And the truth is, if you don't have your faith in Jesus Christ, there's a destiny that's a separation from God forever. And that destiny is called hell. The good news is, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. There's a destiny forever, and it's with Jesus, and that is place is called heaven. And we need to share that gospel message with people we know. That's what Paul was doing. Center point stands on the Bible. That's why we teach through the scriptures. Because there's no other answer for life. We have the answers for life right here in his written word and the truth of the gospel. We believe in all of it. The truth of the scriptures. See, the false teachers in Colossae believed that spiritual perfection was a hidden plan or some kind of mystery that only a few, few privileged people could actually discover. Paul defines the mystery as God calling all people everywhere to faith in Christ, both Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesians 3 makes this mystery clear. He says this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery is Christ in us, the hope of glory. I continue to be amazed how God would let me experience salvation through Christ. Do you ever just sit and ponder that? Do you ever just sit and think about your own life? And I do that and I go, I don't deserve this. I, I fall so short. And it's such a mystery that when we put our faith in Christ, that He gives us salvation. See, when we contemplate the magnitude of that truth, we will engage our time and our talents and our treasures and serve Him accordingly. When we really come to grasp and go, God, you've done that for me. I don't deserve any of this. Then we say, Lord, how can I serve you? What can I do, Lord, in your kingdom? One of my favorite things as a pastor is to watch people who get fired up and discover their place to serve. I, I love it when people, people say, okay, i got to serve somewhere. i, I got to get plugged in. How do I get plugged in? What can I do? Where can I go? Sometimes that's right here within the body. Sometimes that's within a city. Sometimes that's going into other states. It's so exciting, though, when people really say, I want to go on that journey. I want to find my place to serve. When you, when you move from being a chair sitter to being a, a worker, and we would love to help you on that journey here. I'd love to sit down and have conversation, help you say, all right, I need to be plugging in. I need to be serving. Where, how, where do I do that? How do I do that? We'll, we'll walk you through on a journey to help you figure that out. But there's nothing great in discovering your, your purpose in God to be able to serve God Almighty in his kingdom. So Paul says, you suffer and you serve for the purpose of helping people mature. Look at verse 28. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Paul shifts back to this we in this verse to let them know that him and Epaphras were proclaiming the good news and the false teachers were not. The Greek text is quite emphatic. It, it would be shouting out saying, Him we proclaim. Paul's like, we, that, that's what we're doing. Paul's saying, Epaphras and I... And those who are believers in Christ, we're proclaiming him. That word proclaim refers to the official proclamation. Like when someone would speak on behalf of the emperor, they're like, that's our job. 
We speak on behalf of Christ. It meant official business was being spoken and therefore was to be accurate and clear and delivered with authority. We're to proclaim Christ, which is exactly what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says, For we do not preach ourselves, but we preach who? Jesus Christ as Lord. And continually we see that over and over again in Paul's writings. I preach Christ. I proclaim Christ. I'm here to let people know about Christ. When we talk to others about our faith, we must always focus on Christ and not ourselves. And that's why when we share our testimony, we say, this is who I am, and this is who I was, but now here's who I am today. Here's what I was like before I met Christ, or here's how Christ has changed my life. But because of what Christ has done, here's who I am. We point our testimony back to Christ. Notice that the word everyone is repeated twice, which shows that every single believer is capable of Christian maturity. The central task is linked to a twofold emphasis. The word admonishing, which carries with, with it the word of, of warning or, or helping to set someone's mind in proper order. And Paul didn't hold back when he had, had that thought that someone needed to be warned. Hey, you're going down a direction that's not Christ-honoring. You're going in a direction that doesn't align with His will. And so Paul says we need to admonish one another in a spirit of love as well as receive warning and correction when we need it. So admonishing is part of helping people mature. And then the second emphasis is on that word teaching which refers to the clear communication of God's Word. And Jesus left us, left us that responsibility in Matthew 28 when He says, you go into all the world, you make disciples, you preach, you baptize, you teach. And Paul's like, this is what we're doing. We're admonishing and we're teaching. And so an effective presentation of the Gospel always includes both a warning and a teaching. If you don't follow Christ, well, here's the, the, the future you're looking at. If you do follow Christ, here's the future you're looking at. Here's the plan God has for you. You're not aligning with His plan. Here's the purpose God has planned for you. And so there's this warning and this teaching. Here's what God wants. Here's how you do it. See, the goal of proclaiming Christ through modesty and teaching is that we present everyone perfect in Christ. I mean, Paul says that, that's my job. Paul is a perfectionist, so to speak. He definitely wanted everybody to come complete in Christ. He, he didn't want someone just to come to salvation and say, okay, I'm saved. Now just stop there. No, let's move on to this whole transformation idea. Our job as a church is not to just admonish or just to teach. We do those things in order to create spiritually mature Christ followers. We should all be in a process of growth. We should all be in a process of saying, Lord, what's next for me? What changes inside of me? Of becoming more like Jesus. Our focus is, is, is on that spiritual growth. And every single one of us should have that mindset. And Lord, how do I help other people? See, one of our core values at Centerpoint is transform lives. We should be able to look back three months, six months, a year, three years, five years, and say, man, I used to be like that. Look how much I've changed through the years as I've walked more and longer in Christ. And if you look back and you go, man, I'm looking back three years, five years, six years, and I'm looking at my life now, and it's not changed at all? That would be a warning sign. That would be something to say, I need some help on the journey. I need someone to disciple me. I need someone to show me how to walk in Christ. See, if we're serious about moving people to maturity, then we can't be passive or lazy. And so Paul says we suffer for the gospel, we serve for the gospel, we help others mature in the gospel, and then he says we work with his energy. In other words, Paul's like, this is not an easy task. Look at verse 29. To this end I strenuously contend 
with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. When Paul says to this, and I, I labor, he, he's referring to proclaiming Christ and presenting to, to believers. He, he labors and struggles in this task. In other words, Paul's like, it's not easy. And I think we can easily agree with that and go, if I'm trying to share the gospel, trying to help somebody grow in Christ, trying to disciple somebody, trying to teach somebody, it's not always easy. To labor means we grow weary, hard toil. The word struggle comes from a root, root word in Greek translated agony. And both words were used as athletes competing in an arena or of a laborer working to the point of exhaustion. And so Paul's like, I am laboring for the gospel to the point of being flat, exhausted. We're called to lay aside ourselves, to become spiritually fatigued in order to move people towards a devotion in Christ. And if you're tired, and if you're wiped out trying to help somebody walk in Christ, then you're in the company of Apostle Paul. But notice what Paul says. He says, I don't do this in my strength. He says, I rely upon the strength of Christ that is inside me. I struggle with all His energy which so powerfully works in me. There's a play on the words there in the original text. See, we might translate it this way. Striving according to his energy, which powerfully energizes within me. Paul's like, if you're going to really take on your purpose, and you're going to help someone mature and grow, you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to start walking with my friend. I'm going to start walking with my child. I'm going to start walking with my wife or my husband, and I'm going to help them grow in Christ. And then frustration sets in. Wait a minute, I taught you how to do that. I shared that with you. Why are you going back in and doing it the other way? Or why are you not embracing these disciplines? Why don't you read your Bible? Why don't you pray? Why don't you memorize Scripture? Why are you still using the filthy language? You've been using it for five years. We've been talking about it forever. It becomes really frustrating. Why have you not shared your testimony with somebody yet? Why have you not spoken the name of Jesus somebody? Why are you still stuck? When you walk with people, it gets really challenging. Paul's like, trying to get people to live a life in Jesus Christ and mature, it's tough work. And if you move in a realm where I'm going to teach some kids, or I'm going to lead a Bible study, or I'm going to lead a group, and all of a sudden God has blessed you with a, with a handful of people to shepherd, or God says, you know what, you're going to be a missionary, or you're going to become a preacher. You're working with people, and Paul says, i got to do this in Christ's energy, because it's not easy. See, it's a combined effort. It's a cooperation. Since Christ is in us, the hope of glory, He then provides us the supernatural strength and the explosive energy as we labor to propel people to be mature in Christ. You see, the cooperation, that combined effort, the work of salvation is all of Christ and none of me. Understand that? The work of salvation is all of what Jesus has done and not what I've done. But in order to live out our purpose, it must be all of Christ and all of me. It takes us working with Christ. It's, it's an, another mystery that God would choose you and me in spite of our weaknesses and in spite of our shortcomings in order to help people mature in Christ. We must not hold back. We, we must not become spiritually lethargic or lukewarm, but we take up the torch and we say, all right, Lord, you pass it on to me in the year 2020 right here in Fayette County in Lexington, Kentucky, and I'm going to do my best to carry the torch. I'm not going to drop it. And thank goodness, from the Apostle Paul to now some two, three, four thousand 4,000 years later, that torch has been passed on to us. How are we doing carrying the responsibility? 
That's what Paul's telling the church we must do. We suffer, we serve, we help, we work, and we enrich. Our purpose is to enrich lives of others. Colossians 2, Paul goes on and says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul very clearly states that his longing is for believers to be encouraged in heart. The word encourage means to come alongside. The picture of someone trying to move a, a heavy object with another person to, to come and help out. Yesterday at Workday is a good example of that. There were about 12 people here helping work, and there was a container removing. Well, four of us had to pick it up and lift it. There's no way we could have done it by ourselves. And so we encourage each other as we went along, moving moving that container from the front flower bed to the back of the property, just moving that around. So we encourage. See, when someone is a discouraged individual, they need courage. And how do you get courage when someone comes alongside? Paul gave a similar instructions in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are now doing. That's enrichment. That's encouragement. Why, why do we need the church? We, we need one another for encouragement. Why is the instruction to not give up meeting together? Because we come together and there's encouragement in the coming together and spending time together. Why do you sometimes need to call up somebody and say, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Maybe you need to speak a word of encouragement. Why do people come to your mind? haven't seen so-and-so. I'm missing so-and-so. I'm wondering how so-and-so is doing. God's putting that person on your mind to reach out to them with a phone call or a text message or an email and say, I've been thinking about you. How's it going? To speak encouragement. It's a medical metaphor that means to knit together in love. As members of Bodies of Christ, we, we, are, we are joined together as one because we're in unity together. See, when believers are encouraged, united, then they have the full riches of complete understanding, and that enriches us to move on. That enriches us to live our lives for Christ. There's one more purpose that Paul has given us, and it's to delight in obedience. We'll go back to Colossians 2. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. It's just as one gym can one germ can infect an entire body or, or one germ can infect an entire, entire world, Paul recognized the, 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 the threat of false teaching. And Paul's giving a warning, like, like you've got to watch out for the false teaching. These teachers deceive by using faulty logic and enticing people with words that sounded good. And the error, their error was carefully packaged and presented. And Paul did not, not focus on fine-sounding arguments. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Because Paul delighted in their obedience The phrases orderly and firm are military terms. And Paul is there in a spirit like a general expecting troops before the battle. Orderly soldiers 
um, were those who had no breaks or breaches in their ranks. And it's a picture of the builders of Nehemiah who worked as a team with their swords at their side. The emphasis of order is kind of an individually idea, and everyone is doing their part. Firmness points to a solid front with the focus of corporate strength as the soldiers line up to battle. It's a, it's a military terminology that helps us to see through our discipline and obedience how we can be, be prepared for every kind of battle. We must each do our part, and we must stand united. So how are we doing with these purposes that Paul lays out in our text today? How are we doing suffering for the gospel? It's a good evaluation question. Is we going to focus on the cross and have our time of communion? To prayerfully just ask, God, am I suffering? Where am I suffering? If I'm not, why am I not suffering? How can I put myself out there that I might experience some suffering? Are you serving according to your calling? Are you helping people mature? Good questions to stop and think about. Are you working wholeheartedly with his energy? Are you trying to serve with your, with your own energy? What I find is when people serve with their own energy, they burn out. They, they say, I'm done serving in a church, or I'm just going to kind of sit back and let other people do it. But when you serve with his energy, you serve faithfully, and you serve faithfully for a long time. Are you enriching the lives of others? Is there someone God wants you to come alongside and be an encourager to? Are you delighting in obedience? These are the purposes God gives us. Suffering, serving, helping, working, enriching, delighting. How are you doing living out your purpose today? How are we doing? Paul's given it to us. Are, are we living our lives that way? Let's pray together. Father God.